Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Do better than that. Put your hands together. What is up, CBG? Sunday, PM edition. Thank you for being here. If, if you're new to our church, I'm, I'm David. I'm one of the pastors here. Give it up for our band. They're so good. Tech team, video team, Lucas. Lucas is so talented. But what a great way to introduce the topic of the next few weeks, this series. Uh, I love a positive attitude. I love a positive perspective, a positive disposition. But there's a difference between being positive and pretending. Like your problems are not your problems. We all have issues, we all have hang-ups, we have some habits we'd like to change. And this idea behind this series is a lot of us, when we've tried to change, I mean earnestly, uh, will up our resolve, apply our willpower to change in the past. If we've not been successful, we get discouraged. And after a while, you stop trying to change and just figure out how to accommodate that dysfunction in your life. You know, it is what it is. And when someone asks you how you're doing, what do you say? Everything is, everything is fine. It's not fine. You know it's not fine. They know it's not fine. Everything is fine. So here is my plan as we start 2020, that we no longer deny our dysfunction. We define our dysfunction. By God's grace, we delete our dysfunction. Amen. This is your year to change and see lasting transformation. I'm so glad you came. Thank you for coming to Sunday night. We had huge crowds on Sunday morning. You helped clear out some seats. So thank you. There's plenty of room on Sunday night. Plenty of room. I think that's going to change too. So uh, God's doing great things. Uh, Find your Bible. Find your Bible. I want to spend some time in the book of Exodus. If you have a paper Bible like me, it's an easy find second book in uh, your Bible. And let me set up the study. Go to chapter 14. Chapter 14. I think you're really going to enjoy this. It's been a fun day. In fact, a fun weekend at Church by the Glades. Um, I've never told you in all my years here the story about my first night in seminary. Y'all know what seminary is? Not not cemetery, they're mistaken, not cemetery. Seminary is graduate school for people like me, for pastors and worship leaders and children's pastors and missionaries. And and so so I I grew up in a tradition that values education and training. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved, to rightly handle the word of God. I think think training, if you're called to ministry, is very important. So I have a four-year undergraduate degree from Baylor. Uh, my, my, My major was in religious studies. And then on top of that, I went to seminary for a three and a half year long on-campus master's degree, really long master's degree. And originally I felt like God was leading me to go to a seminary in New Orleans because I knew God was calling me to any city where the music and food was that good. Just think it was New Orleans. The last minute I had a change of heart and I chose to go to seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And because I shifted gears late, I was able to get in, but there was no housing. Like they had a guy's dorm, they had a girl's dorm, and the dorms were full. But I didn't care, man. I'm a young college kid. A lot of people in seminary are a few years older. They've been out there, done a little life. They come back, you know, later on. Uh, I, I'm, I'm 22. I packed up my 1977 Chevy Camaro. I miss that car, brothers. I miss that car. I wish I still had that car. 305 engine. Love that car. Put all my worldly possessions in that. I'm going to seminary. I checked in one last time with the housing directory. So, well, guess what? We found you a place. It's not in the dorm, but we have a home. We, we found you a place in this home. The seminary owns it. And once upon a time, the president of the institution lived in the home. So I'm thinking this must be nice. Not nice. He lived in back in like 1936. <laughs> 
It's a frame, ranch-style home. It's older. They repurposed it for housing. They took this house and it made it, uh, spots for nine different guys. So nine of us lived in the same house, just two bathrooms. Ladies and men can do that, just two bathrooms. We made it through. And so I had two roommates in my room. So it's the end of the first day. I'm excited to be there. I'm, I'm dog tired. I've moved, I've unpacked my few meager possessions. I'm crawling to my bed. The light's off in the room. One guy has his reading light. He's reading his Bible or something in Greek, I don't know. And I'm just feeling, I'm in seminary. I'm excited. I'm about to spend the next three years of my life studying the Old Testament, the New Testament, systematic theology. You might think that's dull. I love that kind of stuff. Hermeneutics, which is the, uh, the art of preaching. I cannot wait. I'm just feeling I'm so excited about you know, this chapter of my life. And I'm at that point of sleep where you're not really asleep, but you're mostly asleep. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? Like two thirds of sleep. And I hear in the distance a sound. I'm trying to figure out what the, it sounds like a trumpet. Like a far away, like, like long, like single note trumpet, like far away. I'm like, what is that? That is, now we have a school of music. Maybe the musicians are practicing, but it gets louder, like it's getting closer. Then I noticed the pendant light in the center of the room is, is vibrating just a little bit, starting, starting to shake. And, and the window pane by my bed is rattling a little bit. Like the, the, this, this frame house is starting to shake, vibrate, not violently. But the, the horn gets louder, right? This trumpet gets louder. Right? And all of a sudden I hear a rumble behind it, like a roar behind it. And the roar is getting louder. And the horn is getting louder. And all of a sudden the house is vibrating. I, I, again, not, not pictures falling off the wall or plaster in the ceiling, but definitely everything is shaking. So stay with me. I hear this horn. And here's this roar just getting louder and louder. And all of a sudden there's a white light flashing in my window brightly. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. It's the rapture. I'm not lying. I'm not embellishing. I'm, getting, I'm not fully awake, but I'm like, oh, this is perfect. You know, the Bible describes this event at the end of time. Uh, it's one of the first stages of the second coming that Jesus uh, calls the church to meet him in the air. So I'm not sure if we're like transported and just poof and disappear or we fly or something like the old song. But I think, oh my gosh, it's the rapture. And I'm a Christian, so I'm going, but I'm in seminary, so I'm going like business class. So I cannot wait for this. As I'm laying there in my bed, I am, I'm, I'm telling you, I am sure it is the rapture. I'm like, I'm going to heaven. This is amazing. I'm just waiting. Like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi. And wait, 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 what's going on? I'm, I'm not disappearing. No, I'm not, it's the rapture. And I'm left behind, right? I, uh, what, what is going on? So literally, I was so nervous. I sat up in my bed to make sure both my roommates were still there. They were. By the time it hit me, oh, it's not the rapture, I'd forgotten there was a train track right outside that wall in my room. Again, this train track was so close, code would not allow it today, but this was built back again, this home in the 20s or 30s. It was so close, I, I, I could high-five the conductor when he went by. And this train was so loud. It was just roaring by and the horn was blaring and the house is shaking. So I went from being like, oh, shucks, it's the rapture to like, how in the heck? Am I gonna sleep every night if this train comes by once at 11.30? Well, the good news was it didn't come by once. Trains like that came by like six times every night. And so the first, the first, gosh, oh, a couple of weeks of seminary, I'm excited, but I'm sleep deprived because I, I can't sleep. These trains are coming by and they're so loud and so noisy. And, and I know they're coming by. Ever try to sleep when you know something's gonna wake up your sleep so you try to go to sleep really fast? Like if your spouse snores, you tell him to roll over, you know, he's going to start again. So you're like, <laughs> trying to go to sleep. And so I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm tired. I'm stressed out. But after a while, after a couple of weeks, I learned to sleep between the trains. Then after a couple of weeks after that, I learned to sleep right 
through the trains. They were just as loud as ever, but I learned to kind of sleep through the train. In fact, if I invited you over for a sleepover, we had a fourth bed and you brought your jammies and your stuffed animal, whatever, teddy bear. You'd have been the first night going, how in the world do you guys sleep through this racket, this noise, this train? It's funny what you can get used to. A lot of us have um, habits, brokenness, dysfunction, even addictions. And we tried, we tried so hard. We tried to change. We tried, every year we make a resolution. This year's gonna be a different year. We pray about it. We invite God into it, but we don't change. So if you can't change, just learn to kind of sleep on it. That problem is roaring through your life like that train. It's impeding your progress, interrupting your peace, but you just pretend like it's not there and you think other people don't notice it, but they notice the train. They're very aware of what's taking place. Listen, y'all, faith, faith. People must understand faith. Faith is not spiritualized denial. This is our year to take ownership of our issue, to take responsibility, and it's our year to change. I am praying that 2024 is your year, this year that God leads you to a new year of health. I pray in this year that God leads you to a new year of functionality. I pray that this year God leads you to a new year of victory. I pray that this year God leads you to a new year of freedom. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Oh, I'm so glad you came to church. High five someone near you. You're glad, glad to be in church. I'm so excited you, you got this in. Some of y'all, it's just your first step for the Dolphin game, where the Dolphins beat the Bills tonight. So thank you for being part of this experience. Um, so who are we going to study? Who are we going to study? It's going to be God to lead us. Let's study a leader and an event. The event I want to study is something called the Exodus. And the leader is Moses. And maybe you're a church newbie, a novice to the Bible. Y'all know Moses. Everybody in the room knows Moses. Uh, he, he's so famous. In fact, I would argue if you think about who are the great leaders in human history, even a secular historian would put Moses on the list. I, if you're talking about leaders like uh, Dr. King, by the way, we're going to honor Dr. King at this church next week. We always do. It's one of our best weekends is MLK weekend. Dr. King and his leadership or Churchill, who probably is the most important person in World War II of saving the Western world for democracy or go through our most prominent presidents or, you know, Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer. Uh, secular stories would put Moses on the list, even if they discount the miracles and don't believe in the plagues. They would just recognize that this near anonymous nomad single-handedly took down the supreme superpower of his generation and led two million slaves who've been in bondage 400 years to their freedom. That's leadership. That's le now here's the crazy thing. As we study this event called the Exodus, the Exodus uh, and, and the leadership of Moses, the crazy thing is you're gonna see in Moses' life all kinds of resistance, resistance. When I say three, shout the word resistance. Ready, one, two, three. Resistance, resistance. Uh, so, you know, you face resistance. Moses faced resistance. Uh, you say, yeah, he faced resistance from Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the slave masters. Now, I wanna study the resistance he faced from his own people. He had incredible resistance and pushback from the very people he came to liberate. One of the greatest leaders of all time. And the thing, we're still fascinated with Moses today. He's been in heaven 3,000 years. Hollywood's favorite Bible character is not Jesus, it's Moses. There've been more Moses movies over the years. Some of the greatest generations of their age, whether Charlton Heston or whoever. My favorite would be uh, Larry the Cucumber, by the way, from Veggie Tales, have played Moses. Uh, there's an internet rumor that Tom Hanks is gonna reboot the Ten Commandments later in this decade. He'd be a great Moses, by the way. But Moses, this iconic leader, faces resistance 
from the very people he's trying to liberate. And the Bible never says, why? Why, 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 why the pushback? Why the criticism? Why dragging their feet? Why critiquing? Why, why are, why, it's Moses. Here's why I think one of the reasons why was this. He didn't look like the hero they prayed for. They've been praying for a deliverer for 400 years. God send us someone to lead us. And God sends him and he didn't look like what they expected. Number one, he's old. He's old. Do I have any old people in the house? Come on, old people. Old people. Yeah, yeah old people. Yeah, yeah. He's old. He's a senior citizen. The Bible says when he starts this whole adventure, he's 80 years old. He's been on AARP for 25 years. That is remarkable. He's old. He's a failure. Have you ever failed? He's a failure. He's made some mistakes in his life. He's paid the price. Uh, he's a fugitive. He has a criminal record. In fact, he's wanted, if you're watching this at our Dade County campuses, uh, listen, he, 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 did, he did something wrong. He did a crime. And by the way, it wasn't jaywalking or parking tickets. It was something big, and he did it. And then many things surprise people the most. Yes, he's, he's old, and yes, he's a failure. And yes, uh, yes, he's a shepherd without any sheep. And he probably st stutters or stammers at the lisp. Something going on. Or maybe not a speech issue at all. He was just... Insecure. I'm going to show you in a couple weeks. Me just insecure as a leader. Ever been insecure? Come on. Even as confident. Raise your hand if you've ever been insecure about anything. Raise your hand. See, some of y'all are so insecure you can't even raise your hand admitting you've been insecure. Uh, but I think the thing that was most shocking was they're praying for a hero, a deliverer, you know, because the Egyptians a superpower, you know. He had no army. Had no weapons. Had no entourage. Had no worldly trappings of status, influence, or power. You know, you'll pray and expect God to do one thing. He'll do something different. He'll do something different. I found in my life, God almost never answers my big prayers the way I expect. So he wasn't the leader they were expecting, but he was the leader they needed. Uh, leaders come in all shapes and sizes. Let me give you one example. Uh, now, if you can guess this person, don't be that person. Don't shout the name. But one of my favorite leaders ever, I love this leader, five foot nothing, five foot nothing, weathered skin, had a prominent scar, a dent, if you will, in her forehead. Illiterate, could not read nor write. Suffered from narcolepsy. Y'all know what narcolepsy is? When you suddenly fall asleep, right? Some of y'all get that in church, narcolepsy. <laughs> Uh, because of that, she couldn't hold down a job. She got fired all the time. And by the way, the job she tried to keep, not like bank presidents or attorneys or, or a doctor, uh, like laundry, cook, housekeeper, menial labor. But this woman was a leader. She was such a phenomenal leader. Who was she? Will you stay till the end of the sermon and don't you log off? I'll tell you who she was. God will use leaders of all different shapes and sizes. And it's my prayer today that God would lead you by way of his word and his spirit to freedom. It is time for us to solve this long-term problem. Let's jump right to it. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 on the screen right now. Open up your Bible and we'll do a little jumping through this great, great story. Let's start in verse 15. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people, by the way, here's the chronology on this. I've studied Moses with you before several times, but I've always tend to focus on his call. Like when God called him to ministry, and that's a great story. Y'all you know what a burning bush, right? The burning bush, and God speaks and says, you know, take off your Jordans. This is holy ground, right? That's all right. So we studied that. Then the 10, ten uh, what do you call it, signs or wonders or plagues, based on what side of the story you're on. If you're the people of God, they're wonders and signs. If you're the slave masters, they're plagues and divine discipline. 
the kind I want to study, I want to limit our study to the next season in the life of God's people. Uh, after Pharaoh finally says, that's it, y'all leave, get out of here, I'm done, I'm over, I've, ha I've had enough. From the moment their sandals touch the sweet sand of freedom till they take possession of the promised land, 40 years. And the reason why I think that's so appropriate for our study is, I don't know how long the 10 plagues took and the whole drama with Pharaoh, the back and forth. I don't know how long that was. The Bible, I, I'm not sure it says anywhere. I don't know if it was months or weeks or just days. But crazy, it took maybe just days for God to get his people out of Egypt. But it takes 40 years to get Egypt out of his people. And I think so what we struggle with. Listen, the moment you are saved, the moment you were saved, or the moment you'll be saved at the end of the service, when I finally stop talking, there'll be prayer partners at the edge of the stage. You just come up to one and say, I want to be saved, or I want to become a Christian, or I want to have a relationship with Jesus. It works. They'll take over. They'll show you some promises from God's word. And you can pray a brilliant salvation prayer. And in that spiritual nanosecond, you're set free by God. You're set free from the slavery and the bondage of sin and death. God accepts you. His Holy Spirit invades your life lovingly. All those things become yours the moment you are saved. You punch your ticket for heaven, which is the best part of salvation. All those things become yours in that moment. But some of the issues we have before we get saved, though we're forgiven and accepted by God, we carry into our salvation. Y'all staring at me. All right, if, if you, you get saved, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if you, uh, if you are in terrible debt. Like on Friday or Saturday, you're on terrible debt and you get saved on Sunday. Guess what? Uh, the moment you pray that salvation prayer, uh, God doesn't call the bank and eradicate your debt. So if you are broken in debt the day before you got saved, my guess is you're going to be broken in, in, in debt the day after you get saved. Right, so he didn't change all those issues in a moment. We get to work out the implication of our salvation in fear and trembling. So that's what's taking place. So how do we experience the freedom that God has declared in our life of salvation? All right, back to it. So we have the slave master. When the king of Egypt was told, the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officers changed their mind about them and said, what have we done? We let the Israelites go ahead and lost their service. I'm not surprised he changed his mind. He doesn't have the entire story. Pharaoh flip-flops time and time again, kind of arguing with God. And so listen, they're like, wait, we lost, we lost our slaves. I'm not surprised. You know, your dysfunction is probably not something you do in isolation. There's a community that supports your dysfunction and they benefit from your dysfunction. I found a lot of people that profit from your pain or benefit from your bondage will not grant you your emancipation without a struggle. Stay with me. Stay with me. And, and they might even support you going to church at first. Oh, you're going to church. That's so awesome. That's great. Oh, you made a decision. For, you got baptized. I should have been there. That's great. When you start getting serious about the implications of your freedom and it affects them because they're using you, they'll try to bring you back into bondage. So the slave master says, we've lost our slaves. What have we done? It continues. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king. I, that's, I don't have time to explain all that, but I, hardening the heart of Pharaoh is uh, Pharaoh had free will. You have free will. But if you make a whole series of stupid decisions, God will let you be stupid. God will say, look, I'm, I can't help you right now. You're just, you're just so down this pathway of rebellion. Go for it. You want me out of your life? 
Good luck with that. And so he hardens his heart uh, so that he pursued the Israelites, get ready, who were marching out. Bold. Of course they were. They were enjoying freedom for the first time in four centuries. They're marching out, they're high-fiving, they're chest bumping. The Israeli band is playing queens. We are the champions until verse 10. Verse 10 on the screen, ready right now. Verse 10 says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Are you kidding me? It gets worse. Verse 12, verse 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt loudly, leave us alone. What was their status in Egypt? Slaves. Now they've been praying for a hero for 400 years. And when he shows up, they fight him at every turn. They gripe and they complain and they whine and they criticize. Leave us alone in our dysfunction. Leave us alone in our bondage. Leave us alone in this terrible circumstance. Leave it. And by the way, I love we use cute words to frame our dysfunction or our sin. Uh, leave us alone. Let us serve. Let us serve the Egyptians. That's the word you use for that nice person when you're at dinner at a restaurant and the waiter comes up. We call him or, him or her a server and they serve us, but they get paid and they get a tip and they don't like the boss. They can quit. They weren't waiters or servers. They were slaves. They didn't got paid. They got used and abused. But we'll get these little cute words to frame our sin. Uh, I'm not getting drunk. I'm just pre-gaming. Y'all didn't know I knew that one, did you? You didn't know I knew. I knew. I'm just getting a little buzz beforehand. Uh, I'm not promiscuous. Just have a strong sex drive. Y'all getting quiet. I'll move on. I'll move on. I'll move on. And uh, leave us, leave us alone. Leave us alone. Are, are you... Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What God has worked after the 10 wondrous signs, after humbling Egypt, setting you free, that is your response. Okay, I got to back up and give you some uh, uh, setup for the whole story. So again, 400 years of slavery. Let me give you the 400 years in 44 seconds. Here's the part of the sermon for smart people. Ready with me? Who's smart? Put your hands together, smart people, smart people. In the chat, man, if that's you. Give me a high five. There you go. All right, all right. So here, here we go. So, so uh, how do they get to Egypt? We'll go back to a guy named Jacob. Jacob, when I say three, shout the name Jacob. Ready? One, two, three. Jacob. Jacob. Now, God describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, that guy right there. So Jacob goes to Egypt with his family. He had a big family. He had 12 sons and one daughter. That's a lot. One daughter can be a lot. Anyways, moving, moving on. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I love my daughter, but girls are complicated. Anyways, anyways, so he has 12 sons. He has one daughter. So his large family moves to Egypt. And originally, stay with me, originally Egypt was great. Egypt provided provision and protection. So it started out a very healthy circumstance and was that way for Jacob and his family for what, years, maybe decades, but then things changed. And something that started out healthy or acceptable turns into something terribly toxic. A lot of y'all have been in a relationship that started out okay, acceptable, seemed like it was cool, but now it's grown terribly toxic. What happened? Well, uh, if you go back to chapter one, um, the Pharaoh has a change of attitude towards uh, Jacob's family in the next generation. What upset him? Were they rebellious? Were they traitorous? Were they disloyal? No, they prospered. 
Bible says the people of God, the Hebrews, increased and were fruitful, and that stressed out Pharaoh. See, some people cannot handle your success. And so in verse 14, verse 14 of chapter 1, this is the background, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. And that, that describes a whole litany of terrible things. Enslaved them, oppressed them, uh, sought to, uh, in fact, invoke genocide, infanticide, horrible treatment for 400 years. So they pray, God, send us a hero, send us a leader, send us a deliverer. And Moses rolls up, a shepherd without sheep, with a lisp or a study, or he's 80 years old. He's the person they prayed for, but they don't recognize him, and they fight him tooth and nail. Sometimes, when you've been in bondage for a long time, you need to ask yourself the question, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Turn to your other person on the other side right now, your second choice, and ask them, look in the eye and say, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Do you, do you want to be free? Do you really want to? Listen, it's a valid question. Remember that miracle? Jesus healed that guy. He was impaired in some way. He's by the pool of Bethsaida. And the guys by the pool and they had mythology was when the waters were troubled or stirred or the wind blew or something, the first person in the pool got their healing, whatever, got their miracle. And he'd been there for, I think, 17 years, 17 years, and, and never been the first person in the pool. At that point, I'm asking, how come? I know you're impaired, but you got friends, you have help. Can you, can you, you rent somebody? Can you hire somebody? Can you be like real close to the water and just roll, just, just wiggle, <laughs> wiggle in there. And before Jesus heals him, he says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Do you, thank you, thank you. That's, that's, a, that's a right answer, a brilliant answer right there. That's the best thing I've heard all day long right there. Excellent job. I mean, they're saying in verse 12, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. It is crazy what's taking place. What's take, again, they've had 400 years of dysfunction. I think it's really helpful for someone that your, your habit, your problem has not been the last 15 minutes, but the last 15 years, right? Or it goes back 15 generations in your family. So let me give you some things to think about, some things to think about. We'll shut this thing down, then come back next week. By the way, I have a surprise next week. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's something very surprising, very fun when you come back for week two of this series next week. I wrote down some ideas. I wrote down, see, see, if, 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 because Moses, Moses, when they said that, wouldn't it be better for us to have stayed in certain, I'd have been so annoyed. And I got some staff member on the road. I don't get annoyed easily. Things roll off my back. I'm not easily offended. But at that point, I'd have had enough. I'd have been like, better stay in Egypt? You boneheads, you whining, crying babies. I'm 80 years old. I don't need this drama. I didn't need this job. I should be golfing somewhere right now. What are, I'm out. That's why I'm not a world-class leader. He's a world-class leader. I love what he says. Verses 13 and 14 are the bomb. Let me tease up by the first few words in verse 13. His response to their complaint, oh, were there graves in Egypt? We'd be better off in Egypt. He said, do not be afraid. That resistance to change is your fear speaking. It's your fear. Because you've been in years of dysfunction. So here's the first big idea. Your dysfunction feels normal. Stay with me, let me explain, explain it, explain it. Your dysfunction feels normal. And by the way, by the way, uh, freedom will feel scary. When you've been in dysfunction for a long time, for years or decades or generations, you, you know the dysfunction is wrong, 
What's wrong is dysfunction is all that you've known. And so you know it's broken. You know it's not right. You might even know it's sinful, but they're saying, hey, look, look, we were slaves, but we're comfortable with our chains. Freedom is frightening for us. So listen, here's, I, I want to be sympathetic and, and empathetic. If you've been in this for a long time, I, I'm not judging you, especially if this has been your family for a long time. Some of us, our family's like, oh my gosh, so for generations, uh, nobody, nobody stays sober and no one stays married and other men stay out of jail, right? Right, and you're, you're caught in these cycles of dysfunction, dysfunction. All right, I won't get into this too deeply, but I, I've told you all before and I'll get more deeply into the subject. I, I don't believe in something called generational sin. You'll hear preachers and colleagues talk about generational sin. I see where they get that from in the Bible. But the idea is when it's taught is uh, because our fathers or forefathers and grandparents and whatever, because they were dysfunctional, somehow we're victims and we're doomed to recycle and repeat their dysfunction, or even guilty for their dysfunction. They get that from places like Exodus chapter 20. But always use the Bible to help you understand the Bible. If you'll cross-reference Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 14 and verse 20, you'll find out God holds every individual and every individual generation responsible for their own actions. So I'm not guilty for something my parents did. And I'm not doomed to repeat their stupidity or selfishness or their sin. I can break the cycle of dysfunction. It's not easy because here's the hard thing. All I've seen is dysfunction and I know it's wrong, but it's all I know. So I'm comfortable with it. And freedom is scary. And acknowledging that, acknowledging that is, is so hard. But guess what? It is not okay for God's people to live in bondage, period, hard stop. And owning that problem, acknowledging that problem, that can be a frightening thing for all of us. It can be painful to break out, but sometimes pain is your friend. In fact, let me, uh, let me chase that down. Your pain can be your preparation. Nobody likes pain if you're normal. Right? Uh, Lord, bring me suffering. Who prays that? Not a smart person. Now, God can use suffering, but there's all kinds of pain in life we can't avoid. No matter how much you pray and how faithful you are and how generous you are, we go through seasons of pain. God can use those seasons so well. Oh, my gosh. So think about the story of Moses. We'll back up again. So we all know the story of Moses, a baby, and, and Mama puts him in a basket and puts a basket in the Nile, and then God kind of orchestrates things, and it happens to be Pharaoh's daughter, fishes him out of the Nile, and she raises him as his own. And we think that's beautiful. He's rescued. He grows up in a palace. No, he grew up in the household of his enemies. His whole childhood, he knew he did not fit in. He knew he was Hebrew. By the way, no, no, that's not the way the movies go. Prince of Egypt and Ten Commandments. There's always that, like, the time he's an adult, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a Hebrew? I didn't know. I thought, no, no, that, that's Hollywood. That's not Bible. In the Bible, he knew, uh, gosh, Pharaoh's daughter knew and the staff knew. And shucks, his own biological mama becomes his wet nurse. He knew. I mean, every time that woman held that little boy in her arms and, and, and his adoptive mom was not around, he, she'd say, hey, hey, you're not Egyptian. You're Hebrew. These stone statues, these, they're not real. They're not gods. Your God's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And my God preserved you and protected you. And he has a purpose for your life. He knew who he was. But he grows up in a household with trappings and amenities, but he does not fit in. In fact, we find out, you can read it, don't trust me, Genesis chapter 43. The Egyptians were horribly racist. I mean, you find out in that chapter, they're so, uh, so racist towards Hebrews, they will not dine in public with Hebrews. 
It's like back in the old deep south in the 60s, where they had like the white people counter at the lunch stand and had the black people section or the back of the bus. So he's Hebrew, growing up in the Egyptian house where he's marginalized. All the time he's told he does not fit in. So I, I know in all the movies, he's awesome and cool and they love him and he should be the next Pharaoh and the Ten Commandments and Prince of Egypt. That's the wrong animated analogy. If you want a movie what it really is like growing up, it's not Prince of Egypt, it's, uh, it's Tarzan. Disney's Tarzan. Remember back when Disney actually made good movies? Yeah, is, is that, 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 that movie when he, he grows up with the gorillas, but the mean monkeys marginalize him? because he doesn't fit in, yeah, that's Moses. So why would God do this to this little boy? Here, here it is, because you know, Jacob's family, he had a big family, 12 sons and one girl. Now they've grown into a nation of two million, but they're a nation of slaves. And you cannot lead a nation of slaves to freedom with a slave mindset. And so God had to get Moses out of the slave environment and put him in an environment with leaders to learn how to lead a nation. Now, they were ruthless leaders, but in his household might have been Seti the first, Ramses the second. They were great leaders. He had to learn leadership. So it was a painful place, but God used the pain to prepare him. Do you think I'm making this stuff? I'm not. What's the best commentary? Best commentary on your Old Testament is the New Testament. Look what it says in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, verse 22 on the screen right now. It says, Moses was education. education. Young people is a biblical thing. Get ready. I don't know how algebra two is going to help you in life, but that's a challenge that God has placed before you right now. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptian, not in the Hebrews. The Hebrews knew bondage. The Egyptians knew leadership. And God was raising up a leader. So God, if you allow him, will use your pain, but you must trust God. So what is your battle? What is your struggle? What is your dysfunction? One last thought, and I'll let you go, and then come back next week and bring somebody. Here's the last thought. Just saying no is not enough. Where's my old people, old people, hey, old people, old people. You're not that old, but thank you, I'm pretending you're old. Uh, yeah, I, there, was a, there was like a commercial campaign when we were like teenagers, just say no, just say no, just say no to drugs, just say no to alcohol, just say no to whatever, communism, I don't know what else, you know, whatever it is, you know, just, just, just say no. And we're taught just to say, and just say no, that's good, that's, that's a great idea, but that is not sufficient in itself. Willpower will not get the job done alone. Willpower is about what you're leaving. I want to talk about what you're moving towards. So the miracle of the Red Sea is the pivotal miracle in the history of God's people. There's not one problem, there's two. There's one, the Red Sea here in chapter 14. The Red Sea is this massive section of ocean water. It's very deep, right? It's, it's deep, it is daunting, it is impassable. That's problem number one. Problem number two is what? Pharaoh and the army and his chariots. They are dangerous, they are aggressive, they are approaching, uh, they're impossible. So I have impossible and impassable, impassable and impossible. So which do I focus on? Which, which do I look at? My guess was, because this had been around for a while, the Red Sea, they saw the army approach and they're all fixated on the army. Here come the slave masters to take us back into bondage. And some are thinking they should go. Where was the leader looking? Where was the leader looking? Moses, oh, he was praying. I know he's praying. Maybe he's praying. Maybe he's, God spoke to him. I think, I think he's looking this way, not at the Red Sea, but beyond the Red Sea. See, leaders got to see the next step in the road. Beyond the Red Sea, why would he look beyond the Red Sea? Because back you cross-reference Exodus chapter 3, verse 20. God told him he would lead the people. He resisted, he protested, he said he was not qualified. He would lead the people to, to freedom, to the promised land, and they would meet God on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is on the other side. That's where they get the Ten Commandments. Mount Zion's on the other side of the Red Sea. 
And God always keeps his appointments every single time. See, you can't just focus on the addiction or the habit or the dysfunction or the toxic relationship. Yeah, you gotta leave those things behind. But you gotta be moving towards something. Bill Wilson and Bob Smith are the creators of AA back in the 1930s. They were two Christian men, actually. So the first step is what? Own it. You know, acknowledge you have. Ryan, you've been working your sobriety for how many years now? Almost 14, man. God bless you. That's so awesome. So tell me if I'm wrong. You can fact check me. It's acknowledging you have an issue or a problem or an addiction. But number two is what? Number two is look a higher power. Higher power. And they made it generic so people would get engaged. We have a program here called Celebrate Recovery. It's Christ-centered. The higher power's name is Jesus. And so my healing, my sobriety, my freedom is not just saying no. It's not just what I'm leaving. It's what I'm moving towards. You say no to your sin. You say yes to Jesus. You got an appointment over there. Moses, and I love the language of leaders. So the people are freaking out and whining and complaining and saying, it'd be better for us to die. I love in verse 13 and following, Moses speaks up and it's phenomenal. And these two great verses, says he answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will. That's so important. How long have they seen their slave masters? 430 years. You think your problem's been lingering? You've had this problem with porn since you were a teenager? You've had this problem of bitterness since she jacked you a decade ago and betrayed you? 430 years. Every morning they woke up, what? The slave master. Every night they went to bed, the slave master. Every single day they seen it. And this one day, this one day, this one day, God changes everything. Now, they'll have more problems. Your problems won't go away, right? They're going to have Canaanites and Philistines and Amalekites in the Promised Land, but this is going to be the last day they ever see the slave masters from Egypt. But leaders know what to say. Fear not. Fear not, God's people. I know change is frightening. I know freedom feels scary. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Stand firm. Stand firm, be strong, stand for your marriage, stand for your family, stand for your freedom, stand firm. And when it comes to your whining, when it comes to your whining and complaining and grumbling, because it's so hard and it's a struggle, I didn't count on this, be still, be still. In Jesus' name, shut up, white whiner, stop it. Your negative speech is impeding your own progress. You're sabotaging your own success. God wants to lead someone today into freedom, salvation, Baptism, what a brilliant time to be baptized at the start of a new year. That's the way we declare our emancipation. We got clothes to baptize. So God, by his word and by his spirit, is leading someone to freedom. And leaders don't look the way you think. I mean, that day looked like any other day for the people of God. That army approaching with their chariots looked invincible. It was not. Moses was 80, a shepherd without any sheep who stuttered. Didn't look like a leader, he was. This looks like any other Sunday any other service, but this is your moment. Don't be afraid, stand firm. Hey, hey, anxiety, caution, resistance, be still, be still. Leaders don't look the way you expect. Five foot nothing, weathered skin, illiterate, suffer from narcolepsy, couldn't keep a job. 
but Harriet Tubman, one of the greatest leaders in U.S. history. What a remarkable woman. Strong as steel, crazy, smart, intrepid, and courageous. I mean, the courage it took for her to secure her own freedom. You know, if slaves were trying to escape or recaptured, they were beaten, they were tortured, sometimes murdered as an example to other slaves. But after she secures her own freedom, she goes back 13 different times as the primary conductor of the Underground Railroad and rescued between 70 and 300 other slaves, her family, her friends, people she did not even know. She didn't look like a hero. You call her by names, advocate, abolitionist, spy, uh, conductor, liberator. Uh, you could call her, uh, let's see, the first woman to lead armed troops in a battle in U.S. history. But to the people, she's leading the darkness of the woods of Virginia to freedom. They'd call her Miss Harriet or Miss Tubman. But all the wanted posters from the slave masters, they didn't know her real name. They called her Moses. This is your day of freedom. But you got to move. I'm going to pray. The prayer partners will be here. There's going to be all kinds of reasons for you to resist the call of God in your life. But this is your day. And you're going to mark your moment with baptism, whom the Son has set free. It's free indeed. Don't let that train keep roaring by, impede your progress, steal your sleep, take your peace. Lord Jesus, it is wrong, inappropriate for your people to live in bondage anymore. Do not make us for slavery. You made us to live lives fully emancipated, whom the Son has set free, is free indeed. In Jesus' name, as the church says together, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.